and welcome. I'm Luke Burridge, and this is the show called the Luke's Creative Podcast. In it, I talk to lots of creative people about what makes them tick, why they do what they do, and how they do what they do, and their thought processes behind it. You know what sets them apart from other creative people, and of course what they have in common with other creative people. If you want to know more, um, please check out episode number one, where I explain like the motivation and the focus of this whole podcast project in a lot more depth. So in this episode, I talk to Abarian X Perello, who is a fellow podcaster. He started his Candid Frame podcast about four years ago, which is probably maybe like a year after I started my own first podcast project. But I wish he'd had his podcast out before I did, because, you know, by listening to his podcast, I work out what I like um, more about podcasts and how I would change things. And of course, we talk about that in this podcast. Um, so we chat for about um, 30 minutes. Uh, right, the first half of the uh, discussion is about photography and the second half is about podcasting and interviewing and things like that. Uh, this is the last interview um, episode of season one of Luke's Creative Podcast. And I think it's a perfect interview to end on because um, it's it's quite a meta conversation because we're having a conversation about having conversations on a podcast about podcasting and sort of getting emotional about getting emotional and things like that. Um, but uh, in a way, I've said this about a lot of the podcasts um, of this season. This is one of my favorites. Well, like I say, I say that about all of them. But when I just listened back to it to make some notes as I was going through, um, I really enjoyed this one. And uh, so next episode, I'll be doing a wrap-up of season one. And I'm mainly commenting about all the things I've learned from doing the podcast project and touching on some of the creative things I've been getting up to over the last eight to ten weeks I've been releasing these podcasts. So it's, it's strange to like learn by talking about things with other people, but then it's another thing to learn by actually doing them. So hopefully I can tie um, all of the episodes back together with some uh, some conclusion. If you've got any feedback or comments, um, I'll be reading some out in the final show. So uh, now is the time to tell me what you've enjoyed or what you've hated or if anything's inspired you to do something new or different. Um, so email me, luke at juggler.net. And you can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm at Luke Burridge on Twitter. And check out the, uh, the website, uh, lukeburridge.com. Um, for all my different things and uh, lukeburge.com forward slash blog for my blog and lukeburge.com forward slash creative for all the links and uh, things that you need about this episode and of course some photos by EBRNX um, as examples of, of things that we're talking about on the show notes. So thanks a lot for listening and I'll catch you next time. So joining me now is all the way from I think Los Angeles, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Is um, EBRNX Perello. And uh, so just to start off, could you just give a quick background for people who don't know anything about you? I mean, I know you as a, as a photographer, uh, but mainly as a podcaster, because I listen to your podcast. But if, if you could just explain just a little bit about, about your photography. You know, uh, like I said, I, I got um, a variety of things. I'm a photographer. I'm, um, I'm a writer. Uh, I'm an educator. Yeah. Um, you know, depending on the day of the week, I'm always doing something different. Yeah. Do you still do? Do you still do magazine editing and and work for magazines as well? I still write for magazines. Currently, I'm writing uh, for uh, Rangefinder magazine and occasionally Digital Photo Pro, as well as a website called Pro Photo Resource. So I'm still uh, writing writing pretty regularly. Um, I just recently did an article for Digital Photo Pro on a, uh, a sort of a celebrity photographer, uh, Frank Ockenfell. Um, he did uh, the photographs for all the promotional photographs for a show called Mad Men, and um, actually writing an article right now uh, for Rangefinder magazine on Gail Tattersall, who's the uh, DP, the director of photography for a show called House, uh, in which he prominently uses the the 5D Mark II 
for a lot of the uh, the footage that he creates for for that show. So yeah, you actually uh, interviewed him on your podcast as well. That was a recent yeah. interview, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'm writing an article um, based on my relationship with him uh, thus far. And then I'm a shooter myself. I've been shooting since I was like eight eight years old. Uh, I have a book coming out this spring in April uh, called uh, Chasing the Light, uh, Improving Your Photography with Available Light. And that book is about just my personal approach to photography, how I see and use available light. And uh, like you said, I have the podcast, which I've been doing for four years, which uh, includes interviews with photographers from all over the world, both professional and amateur. And typically around 45-minute conversations, not so much about equipment, but why people choose to do what they do. More the, a discussion of the creative side of photography rather than the, the technical side. Yeah, that's great. Just a bit more before we get into the podcast, because that's what I sort of want to concentrate on this in this uh, in this thing as well. You, the photography that you do, you said that you do a lot of teaching, you do a lot of writing. Um, do you consider yourself a professional photographer? Do you like sell your images or do like weddings or any any kind of photo gigs in that way? Or do you do you mainly uh, sort of I wouldn't say the periphery above it, but you know you're not there on in the trenches as a photographer. Is that right? Yeah, well, it's a combination of things. A lot of my photography finds its way into magazines and books in which I'm writing. So yes. I'm using my, my ability to write to pitch articles, and oftentimes I'm shooting images for those articles. Um, and then, of course, with the book, uh, the book consists of all my images. But then I also do um, some commercial work, um, and there's sort of a mixed bag. I've been doing a lot of work for a, a local um what do you, I, I just drew a blank on the word. He's involved in, in, in like redesigns of houses. Oh, so you're doing like, like design, like architectural and interior design kind of things. Right. And I've done some work for some nonprofit organizations as well, doing a little more documentary work uh, so they can use for their promotionals or for their, um, you know, either, either the annual reports or if they're doing a fundraiser and they need images for that. Um, I very rarely will do a wedding. I mean, if a friend asked me to do one, and I have the time and the energy, I, I may consider it, but yeah. uh, weddings are pretty uh, few and far between. Most of my photography is, is, is stuff that I just want to do, which involves mostly a lot of portraiture and going out and doing a lot of street shooting. Yeah, and that's the great thing that I see about your, like, your photography when I you know, uh, look on your blog and things like that. It really is. It's just like, right, what do I want to photograph today? What am I going to do today? I'm going to take my camera the sun is shining. I'm going to go out and, uh, well, you're in LA, so I guess the sun is shining more often than it is here in Berlin. Um, but, uh, but no, it definitely feels like you're in charge of the photography that you're doing, like in, in all of the things that you present. It, like I say, when you do your writing, it's sort of like you're writing about things that you want to do. And when you're doing street photography, you're doing it, it. To me, it seems like you're very free as a photographer, that you're free to do your own thing. I'm not, I'm, you know, that's just my perception as like a non-professional photographer. But judging by what I see of your work, it's it's different from a lot of other uh, professional photographers that I see out there. Yeah, I think I've kind of been lucky in that way in the, in the fact that I'm not dependent just on photography to make a living. Um, I'm sort of a, a jack of all trades, but all of it's re related to some some form of creativity. Um, so I'm writing, I'm producing something, I'm teaching, all of it's associated with photography and, and, and the luxury that, that gives me is that I'm able to shoot what I want for the most part in the way that I want to. Um, when I do get a, a, a photo gig, 
Um, it's not always allowing me to shoot exactly the way I want to shoot or what I want to shoot. No, but I'm saying that when you get that gig, it's sort of like you're choosing to do that that gig. Absolutely, yeah. You, you don't you don't sort of feel okay. I've got to do this, but like you say, you 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 think, oh, well, I'll work for this nonprofit here, or I'll do this for a friend, or that kind of thing. It's but I mean that's great because it it allows for a, a very unique style, which in other ways, which might not be so commercial but like you say because you tie it in with these other things and uh, and within your like personal projects it becomes a little bit more of a, a unique style i don't know yeah because there's a certain way that i like to shoot so if i can create a job that allows me to still shoot in that way rather yeah. than me having to sort of change the, my approach in order to satisfy you know some some need of a client um i find that i have a lot more fun and i'm able to be uh, I'm able to just improve what I do when I'm allowed to to shoot in the way that I shoot. So I think that the bulk of the work that I try to put out there kind of, I'm, I'm hoping, resonates with people. So when they take a look at it, we go, we like what you're doing and we want you to do that for us yeah. in the way that you do it rather than me feeling like, oh, okay, now i got to bring in a bunch of studio strobes and three or four assistants. And mm. it, 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 you know, that's a way of shooting that I'm, I don't feel completely comfortable with. And um, I could certainly do it, but you know, I much I would much prefer to sort of modify the job to to serve my particular approach because I've been doing it my way for so long. Um, I don't have to start second guessing myself. I can just focus on on the images. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's that's sort of where like I mean, with my photography at the moment, I do do quite a lot of street photography and but mostly sort of travel stuff. And also when I'm you know when I'm going to festivals, going to juggling festivals, I uh, get lots of uh, good responses from my photography there. Um, it's, been, it's actually been exactly well, not exactly the same kind of thing, but it's sort of like um, with like the juggling magazines. I used to be known as a good juggler, but now I'm also almost being known as a photographer more than that because they go oh can I use this photo of this show or can I use this photo as the cover for this magazine and things and it's uh, yeah it, it's interesting that like you say you can you can bring in your own projects and you don't actually have to think about it I mean with the uh, like you say with the getting a strobe I've just purchased a, a strobe for my camera and it sort of ruined my photography because <laughs> <which is laughs> suddenly I can't just relax with the camera I'm always like oh shall I get my strobe out for this oh should, do I need to do oh what do I need to do that but yeah so it's a, a very strange thing um, tell us a, a, a bit about the the, the, uh, the book well not so much the book but the focus of the book which is light uh, and seeing with light now a lot of the people listening to the podcast probably aren't photographers and don't know so much about it but could you like just talk about it, like the, the light approach that you have and seeing light and, and the quality of light in, in your f- photographs. Is that, is that possible? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of rooted in, in my own personal experience as a photographer because I was shooting for a long time. And, you know, if you do uh, photography any period of time, you get to a point where you're looking at your work and you feel like you're repeating yourself. You're doing the same thing over and over and over again. Mm. And I didn't feel like I was really progressing. I would look at the work of people that I admired and I would look at my own work and feel, it, feel like it was lacking. And, uh, you know, I was really frustrated with it where I would go out and I'd have all this equipment with me. I'd go out, and go shoot and come home and go. Um, I either didn't find anything worthy of photographing or the images that I did create were, were just, ugh, you know, nothing really to get so excited about. And then one day I just started sitting down and I started looking at the work of these people that, whose work I loved. And then it just hit me that what they were doing that I wasn't doing is that they had an awareness of light. Uh, and they were seeing the light and using the light in a way that I wasn't. And once that, once that I was aware of that, all of a sudden, 
everything changed. I was going out there and primarily looking at the light first before anything else. And I found that that approach really elevated the quality of my photographs. And as I continued to teach teach workshops and started passing that on, I got to see the change in my students' photographs within a very short time. Sometimes I only had students, you know, if I did a workshop, you know, for, for two or three days or if I had a course maybe, you know, over the course of several weeks. And I got to see how differently they ended up being, how different their photographs ended up being just as a result of tuning them into look at the light first. Don't just make a turn your picture on an object and snap it and make a, a, a glorified photocopy of it. Look at how the light interplays with, with the person or the flower or whatever it is you're pointing the camera at and then see how, how your photographs change. Because at that point, it's your unique point of view because the way you look at light and its interaction with the subject is going to be completely different from me. We could be there with the very same equipment but each of us is going to respond to the light and, and the interplay of light in a completely different way and not make the same photograph. And that's when all of a sudden your voice, your style arises. And so, you know, after teaching the workshops, I felt like, well, let me see if I can just encapsulate all of this in, in a book and sort of share this as a sort of, you know, anti-photography anti book. Because most photography books out there are really talking about photography in very technical terms yeah um, that feel like you have to learn the technical stuff first before you can go out and ever hope to be creative and and though i do address some technical issues in the book it was more like let me let me inspire you to start seeing first and and encourage you to be creative by the way you see so that you'll be inspired to go and learn the more technical aspect of photography that you, that you don't have to feel like oh i can never be technical until i know all this I mean, I, can, I can't be creative as a photographer until I learn all this technical stuff yeah. and own this certain equipment because that's not absolutely necessary. I think it's just a, a, an approach which works for a lot of people. But I think increasingly uh, I'm meeting people who really want to have the liberty and the license to go out and be creative. Yeah. It's, it's strange you're talking about the light there. I mean, because I literally went out yesterday with my camera and it was one of the first really sunny days in here in Berlin. So I went out to this place called the Mauer Park and there's this big flea market there and there's always these live musicians who turn up and just busking and, and one band was there. And so I took a few photos of them, but the sun was like so... like like hard like the shadows were so black and so deep and they were facing into the sun and playing and I was actually you know thinking about the lights then I thought well if I just take a photo it's just going to be flat so what I did is I got into the crowd and ducked right down so these really like hard black shadows are like reaching out like into like surrounding the um surrounding the band and it was something that i consciously did at the time because i was thinking about the light i was like okay there's there's this interesting light here and i can make it make a feature of it and so i put it up on facebook and actually the guy in the band because i you know i mentioned it on on facebook that you know there's a photo here um and he actually made it exactly almost the same uh, comment he didn't say oh yes we were in the park it was more like yeah we were using the sun as our spotlight and i and that was almost exactly what I was going for with the with the shot. And it was, yeah, again, thinking about the light rather than just about the subject, about, you know, what's in front of me, the, you know, bringing in the shadows and the light and things like that. So, uh, I, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested in getting your book because that's the, you know, that's the kind of 
thing that I like to do. And it was really, I'm just saying, it's really satisfying when I, when I t- specifically took a photograph with that. And then the only comment out of all the photos that, you know, people, you know, of, of those four photos that I published of this, uh, on Facebook of this band, that was the one comment. And it was about the light and the quality of the light. So that's... Uh, Really yeah, and that's that. really and that's really kind of at the heart of it. It's like yeah. when people initially see something that they want to photograph, they usually don't consider the light at all. And they, you know, they see something, they react to it, they make a photograph, and later on they go home and they take a look at the photograph and go, "Well, that's not exactly what I saw, or that's not mm. what I was hoping to c- capture in in the photograph." And I think that that initial reaction is a good one because there's something about the scene or the subject that's really drawing you, but uh, it's more a careful examination of the light about the relationship between what's in front of the subject, what's behind the subject, what you decide to include in the frame. All of those, all of those things have to be factored in when you're trying to make, trying to make the photograph. And I think yeah. light is probably one of the more important aspects of it, because just positioning yourself uh, relative to the subject in a way that really emphasizes those qualities of the scene that you want to, to emphasize. Is, is absolutely essential. I think a lot of people just, they focus on the subject, they make the photograph, and only later do they realize, oh, there was a bunch of other crap in the frame. Yeah, and, that, and someone is like half out of the frame and half in the frame, and, you, and there's, no way to, <laughs> there's no way to get that other half of the person back. Um, yeah, yeah, because you become very myopic. You yeah. get, you're very focused and you start, you don't even consider the other stuff. And, mm. and when you start looking at the light, then all of a sudden you become that more focused. You slow down. I think that's probably the most important thing. It slows you down to all of a sudden take a look at every little element in the frame from yeah. what's in the very center to the very edge. And then you can make choices that improve the impact of the photograph so that you can make sure that when someone looks at the image that they have the same experience that you had when you were making the photograph. Yeah. Also, another thing about your photography that you do have very much of a sen- sense of sort of like the the shape uh, or not the shape of the photog- uh, photograph itself, but the shapes that you capture. Often it feels um, quite abstract, uh, like almost abstract. Like you look at it and go, what's that? Oh, it's this. But I've never seen a building of that shape before. Even though like it's a square building, you sort of bring out another shape of it, maybe with like a, uh, you know, a cable crossing in front of it or something like that, which sort of plays with the perspective. Is that something that you consciously do? Or like, you know that's not for me that doesn't seem so much about the light of it but more of like the uh you know the architectural detail i'm not not quite sure what i'm trying to say here oh no no i I get you completely i mean what's happening is that oftentimes it's the light that leads me to the subject in the first place okay you know i'll be i won't be looking for a specific a specific thing to photograph so i'll just start looking at what's happening with the light and then i'll see how the light is illuminating like a building or a, a architectural piece and i'll go oh that's an interesting subject and and even though i may not be focusing on the light exclusively i'm allowing it to sort of guide my eye as i'm walking around and then once i find something um like that then i'm taking into consideration line shape contrast shadow texture uh, things to contrast things with in terms it could be light or dark or you know smooth or coarse or even light um, you know the uh, color you know relationships with color and when I'm making those images I'm really trying to make them as as a concise a read as possible and the way I do that is I just look at the scene and go what interests me more than anything else about the scene and then once I know that 
I'm able to start extricating all the other things that I don't want in the frame. So for a lot of those images that you're mentioning, uh, I'm making a sort of abstract of, of a building. I'm not just taking the entire building and making a photograph and going, oh, this little piece here, this is what I found interesting. Yeah, this is like a representation, a representation of the entire, bi- all the, it's a representation of the tone of the entire building, and you just capture that one element of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, this is what drew me, this is what interested me about this particular scene, and so I make a photograph that sort of gets that, but I'm also trying to create compositions that aren't just very static and boring, so I may have some extraneous thing like a telephone wire cutting across the edge of the frame, just because um, it just makes the, the, the composition that much more interesting. I'm always yeah. looking for some sort of contrast to add a little bit of tension. Yeah, and a little bit of context as well and scale. Right, exactly. And yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, coming back to the book, though, you, uh, and not just the book, actually, a podcast as well, uh, you say it's not so much technical language or anything like that. It's more about sort of like the the philosophy behind it, and that's what you get out for people. I've just got these, um, I've just been, you know, uh, because I got myself a, uh, a strobe for my camera I've been like wanting to actually learn how to use it so it doesn't like I say continue to ruin my photography uh, so I got a few books actually one was by let me just check Joe McNally and it's all you know there's the actually two books by him there's the Hot Shoe Diaries and there's the uh, what's the other one called I've got it over here in my coffee uh, The Moment It Clicks yeah The Moment It Clicks and um, he hardly mentions gear in those but he do- or, and if he does mention gear it's sort of like in a separate chapter he goes okay this is the gear I use but now let's talk photography and the other um the other uh, book that i got which because i because i'm using canon equipment is Silarina's the Speedlighters handbook mm-hmm. and it's so interesting to see two utterly different books Silarina's is like it because it's a handbook it's like okay press this button you know insert here do this connect this cable have it there like that and it's all technical um and then joe mcnally's is all like hey just go with a light and feel you know and it's uh, and it's interesting to see the two two different approaches so i'm guessing your uh, your book is going to be much more of a no, no pressing buttons kind of uh, yeah book. i get i get into some of that because i think it's important and understand the, the okay. things that involve them with white balance and stuff but the bu- the bulk of the the book um doesn't deal with that i mean yeah. and, and you make an interesting point in terms of like the, the technicality of a lot of these things i mean yeah. photography is a, is a kind of a strange beast because you're dependent on this electric mechanical electromechanical device in order to make the photographs and so the assumption is is that the camera has much more to do with the image than than most people would think i mean but it's it's kind of it's kind of weird because ultimately it's really about the person who's seeing and using the device simply as a, as a tool you know, you you don't go to a writer and say, uh, you know, what what brand of computer do you use? Do you use a Mac or a Windows or, you know, or you know, for you're a juggler, so people come up, you know, don't come up to you and go, oh, what kind of balls do you use? You know, what kind of pits uh, do you? <laughs> well, actually, I mean, they do. <laughs> no, but I, I understand what you mean. When I'm doing a show, nobody cares. You know. They they just see the show. They don't care what I'm juggling. They just they just want to do, it. and that's actually something with within juggling, which is actually a bit a bit, a bit weird because I uh, for a long time I juggled beanbags, and people go, oh, if you juggle beanbags, they're not balls. It's not real juggling. You know your records. You know it does, records don't count because you're not using. But in the end, 
like in the end of the day i'm a professional juggler and so the people who are actually watching they don't care it's sort of like when like if i'm posting something on a blog i'll say yeah i did this with my camera to get this shot but if i'm posting on facebook people just or you know or wherever i'm doing it, or maybe it's being used in a magazine or anything like that i mean loads of because i take photos of jugglers loads of jugglers um you know have asked me to say hey can i use the photo on my website or as a business card and musicians as well uh, but nobody cares about what camera i'm using it's only you know and but it's the same with uh, any equipment i guess it's the results that people are interested in in the end yeah. um but well, uh, i got a question for you i think it's yeah, kind of yeah. interesting I w- uh, in terms of taking risks as a juggler how much how much yeah. how much does that play a role in you being able to really distinguish yourself i mean cuz you know there are tens of thousands of people who do juggling all over the world and only a small percentage of them do it pro- professionally what what you know what makes uh um, a, a juggler, not just able, not, not not just able to do it professionally, but what makes a juggler special? Is it is it taking risks or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, there's different risks that you can take. Um, personally, it it really just depends on the on the venue. I mean, there's lots of people who are like very well known I- among jugglers who um, outside of the juggling world hardly ever perform. You know, it's very much um, yeah, it's maybe like a, a a photographer who writes a book and that's what they're known for within photography, but then they'll do something else for a living. I mean, they'll do some other photography for a living. Um, but with personally with me, it's uh, I'm what I do is very much based on my personality. Like, I mean, the reason I get work is isn't because I'm a, a good juggler. There's so many other jugglers out there, way way better than me, like on a technical level. But I have a style and a personality, and it changes which w- what venue I'm performing in. Like, I work quite a lot on on cruise ships. And so some cruise ships, uh, these huge ones and very prestigious, I was just performing on the, uh, on the, the new Cunard Queen Elizabeth on, on its first, you know, its maiden world cruise. Um, and I do, a, you know, the same show, but I do a different style. And then I can perform on, say, a ship like the Prince Dam, which has got, you know, it's like quarter of the size and the ceiling is really low. So I can't even do a technically advanced juggling show because the ceiling is so low and I'm actually a lot then I can take risks I mess around on stage I try tricks out for the first time or that I've never done before but the in, the there's an intimacy with the audience in some ways that you can uh, that you can take more risks whereas when I'm performing on like the in in some of the bigger more prestigious ships I'm going to do my show and my aim is to not make any drops not make any mistakes you know I'm going to do all of the jokes exactly right and I'm going to do all of the physical comedy and clowning that I do exactly right and I'm dressed up smart and at the end of it, you know, I get a good reaction. So it's, it, yeah, it's for me on stage, uh, there's different different risks that I take. Like it's, for me, it's never about the technical juggling risks because, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sold on being a technical juggler. Um, mm-hmm. But I do take risks with performance and with personality and character, you know, presentation in, in ways which um, other people, but then, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit strange. I've did that. Was that always the case, or did you find a time when all of a sudden you felt like this is this is the kind of choice that I need to make to move away from something that, you know, if I'm not if I'm not feeling that being a technical juggler is the way that I want to do it, but rather I just want to be myself. Was there a moment where? you sort of had this epiphany about that or was it sort of a gradual thing? No, I thing? think it's I think it's it's always been part of me. You know, I, I'm actually doing stuff on stage now which is more technically difficult than anything I've ever done on stage just because I keep progressing as a juggler. Like, at the moment, I'm working on five club back crosses and I perform five clubs, back crosses and six... I mean, these are, you know, 
big technical tricks. You know, I do six clubs on stage and do all these different kind of things. Now, that's the, that's at the same level as many jugglers as, a, as performing technical juggling. I don't, I don't ever compromise on the technicality. You know, lots of people ask me when they, you know, when they see the street show that I do as a juggler, especially the one that I used to do with my, uh, with my ex-girlfriend and, and my ex-performing partner. And we were doing really technical stuff on, on, the, sh- on the street. And people were going, why, why do you do this technical stuff? You don't need to do that kind of stuff. So I think, yeah, maybe I was taking a bit of risk there as well, that you can push it. But no, it's, it's always been part of me, really. And again, that's what made me stand out when I first started juggling, you know. It wasn't. It was never about the technical stuff, even though I did get world records and and, and things. Although they've all been broken now. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> because that's interesting what you're saying in terms of you making your performance so much about who you are. Yeah, um, nobody but, can do what I do better than me because nobody can be me better on stage better than I can be on stage. And you know, and that's something that I've have, have had to come to grips with in terms of my own work and what I encourage other people to do as well. Mm. Um, I teach at Art Center College of Design, and it's a very prestigious art school. And I teach in the photo department there. And you know, every every you know every uh, every term, there are three terms in a, in a year. We get to see portfolios of students, and and it's really the students who are really doing very personal work um, that end up really uh, getting me excited about what's possible in terms of photography. But so much of the work, at least initially, for a lot of these students, is very derivative of work that they've already seen other people do. And I think that's yeah. the case not just at art school, but with anyone who wants to be a photographer. Is they look at the work that they admire, they start emulating it. But there has to come a time when you kind of try to make it your own, because all the all otherwise you're just you know poor copies of much greater photographers. And it's really and it's really evident when you take a look at the images. Yeah, it is. I, I think what I benefited from when I, I mean, I used to be into photography, but it was really difficult just because, you know, before digital photography came along, it just wasn't possible. I, I did lots of video stuff and things back in the day, um, but it was mainly through my traveling and I would turn up somewhere and I was going to capture a photograph of, say, somewhere in Antarctica. Uh, but I haven't seen that many photographs of things in Antarctica. I don't, I don't know how to take photographs of penguins because that's not it. So when I was trying to do this kind of photography, I'd actually have to sort of make my own way. There wasn't stuff to copy. Um, with travel photography, it, it happens sometimes. I, I actually remember once I, I, I was th- thinking of trying out some HDR photography, you know, just to learn how to do it. And I was in uh, Buenos Aires and, and I thought, oh, there's this big f- uh, flower that, you know, this big metal flower that follows the sun in Buenos Aires. And I thought, I'll take a photo of that. And so I set up the camera just right and I took the photo, HDR photo. And then I looked back through um, Trey Radcliffe's um, travel photography because he he's very well known for doing mm-hmm. all the HDR stuff, and he had taken the same photo. And it, I'm not just kidding. I'm not just saying it was like of the same subject. We had obviously both used you know like a 10 millimeter wide angle lens or you know what 14 millimeter or whatever he has on you know uh, on you know on a full frame sense or whatever it is. And we'd both done a HDR shot, and you know it was had been at the same time of day, so the flower that follows the sun was in the same position. We'd sort of put the camera at the same height. Sometimes I find that you know you you, you have to like if you're taking a, a, a similar subject, you're gonna uh, you're gonna take a similar photo. Mm-hmm. But like you say, I think with when you're doing it, for me as well, taking learning how to take photographs of jugglers turned me into a better photographer and gave me a, a more of a distinct visual style as a photographer than than most people would have just because juggling is a is a technical 
like a photographically technical challenge different from pretty much any other kind of photography it's often dark there's things moving you've got to like you've got to capture that sense of motion the jugglers are moving all the time but it's not like sports photography where there's like bright lighting and it's and again it's not so much theater photography where you can maybe wait for someone to pause for a second because there's juggling all the time so it's like this really like technical um, challenge to actually capture good photographs of jugglers and they're moving all the time and you're having to worry about focus and lots of stuff like that so uh, again I, I think finding a new subject will make you a, a better photographer and give you a, a distinctive visual style um, quite quickly because you've got you've got these different challenges like I say b- both me and Trey Radcliffe decided to take a, the same shot because we both looked at the same subject at the same time of day and came away with like almost the same photograph um yeah, and uh, uh, yeah so it's, i'm just saying like getting a new subject is is one way to, to get distinctive style or distinctive voice or distinctive look um quite quickly i think yeah i think that's a, a good point to that but i think even with a, a familiar subject whether it's a familiar subject or it's a new subject i think one of the one of the mistakes is that people don't spend enough time with whatever subject that they find they make yeah. a, a single snap and they move on, and they've not really completely exhausted all the possibilities that exist mm. there. Uh, I make photographs every day of things that most people would just walk past, would never yeah. even consider. I've been out with other photographers, and you know they're surprised at what I end up turning my camera on, um, just because it's 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 I'm I'm kind of I'm more open to to the more mundane and everyday elements in life that I'm not necessarily. Um, anticipating and hoping for the extraordinary every time I walk, turn around in the corner, I'm looking to try to make something exceptional out of the mundane, if if at all possible. So, and when I do find something, I know that my initial image probably isn't going to be the best image, so that I have to, you know, change my camera position, change my focal length, mm. change my exposure. Deuced, I have to play around with it because when I see something, I don't exactly know how my visceral reaction to it is going to best translate into a photograph so that first photograph sort of just is just is just the starting point and if i'm you know just i just want to make the snap and move on to the next shot i probably didn't really get what i what i'd wanted yeah and then later on i'll look at it and go ah that's okay yeah, I'm just saying that. I like, say to, once, once, once you've taken lots of photographs of a of a unique subject, then when you go back to a common subject, you'll probably be able to find a new way to look at it. And I think that's what you're saying there as well. Yeah, because uh, if you train yourself with with just the everyday stuff in life, when you do get turned on to something that is very exotic and very different, yeah. you'll be ready to take advantage of it in a way that you wouldn't um, if you didn't mm. sort of sensitize yourself to. Oh, that's to I see what you mean. Yeah. Because I, I was saying it the other way around, is because, like I say, because I was taking lots of photographs of jugglers, and then when I came to take a photograph of something which has been photographed many times before, say like a band or a guy playing a guitar, I then bring what I've no like learnt from juggling the exotic, and then just to guy like to take a photograph of someone, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. If you understand what I mean, so you can. No, it works. It works both yeah. ways. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. And I think that's quite that's quite interesting. There. Let's. Uh, I think we've talked long enough about photography here although i could keep having this conversation all day of course uh let's talk a bit about your podcast it's called the candid frame and it's generally sit down conversations with uh, i say sit down or maybe over skype or something like that uh, with with 
other photographers with um, photographers who are generally professional photographers. There's some people who are like amateurs, but who have got like a an interesting um, interesting project. Yeah, why did you do this? I mean, I want to actually move on to the podcast itself, but just quickly, could you introduce why you decided to do this podcast? Well, I started listening to the podcast a little more than probably four and a half to five years ago. Yeah. Um, and I just really enjoyed the, the, the format. And I was listening to all the photo podcasts that were out there. Um, I think one of the first ones I ever listened to was Chris Marquardt's Tips from the Top Floor. I think that was one of the first ones I, I listened to. But A photography podcast, of course. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I started listening to all these other shows. And one of the things that struck me is that all these shows were focusing on equipment. They were talking about cameras. They were talking about lenses. They were talking about software. And not many of them were really talking about photography itself. It was more more focused on on gear for the most part and i felt well, that's a shame someone should do a show where they interview photographers about photography and um uh, so i said well i know i know a bunch of photographers i know how to interview people and so i had a friend show me how to um edit audio using GarageBand. i figured out how to record conversations off of skype and i got a digital recorder and you know i'm doing those opportunities when i had the chance to sit down in person with a photographer, I would interview them. Yeah, was that mainly at workshops or conferences and things like that? Oh no, I would just call in favors. I would just, you know, if I knew a photographer was. No, I mean town, when you meet when you were meeting them, when you said you would just meet them, that was. Uh, uh, yeah, just, if they were if they were in town, um, say that they yep. were teaching a workshop or doing a presentation. Uh, the first yeah. photographer I interviewed was John Isaac, who used to be a, a United Nations photographer, and he was speaking. Uh, in in town, and I had known him because I'd written an article on him before. And I said, "Hey, um, I'd like to meet you at your hotel and uh, interview you." And so I met him at the hotel, which is wasn't too far from where I lived. And we sat down, had lunch, and I interviewed him for the show. Oh, that's great! So that, it's it's good that you actually started off that you already were a journalist and you'd already written for magazines and obviously interviewed people for magazines because that was the same thing with me. There's a uh, a magazine called Cascade. It's a you know juggling magazine in Europe, and that was a great way for me to get in with some people as well. Like when Cirque du Soleil came over and Victor Key is the big star juggler, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing an interview. I'm doing a you know a, a, an article. Um, you know, an interview, a feature about you, uh, or we want to do one about you for this Cascade magazine. But then, hey, I'll interview you anyway for the podcast. So it's, it's interesting to do that. And I did that a few times, actually used sort of like the magazine credentials in a way to sort of with your own sort of personal podcast project, which is a, a good way in, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was like, I just started you know, doing that. And then as I got more and more photographers, I was able to use their names when I yeah. approached other photographers and I would email them or call them and saying, well, I interviewed Douglas Kirkland. I interviewed Greg Gorman. I interviewed, you know, Joel Meyerowitz or Jay Maisel. So now I have, you know, a whole, you know, uh, you know, a you get anyone, yeah, you could get pretty much get anyone to say yes to you to interview you now, I guess, because well, not, maybe not everybody, anybody, but you know, uh, anyone who generally would do interviews with press w- would consider an interview with you. Do you think that? Yeah, yeah, because one of the first things they ask you is like, who else have you interviewed? Yeah, so and you I can put, reel off these names. <laughs> yeah, so all of a sudden they go, well, okay, they've been interviewed by them. Yeah, you know, it's good and. And it also helps that my conversations are unlike most of the interviews that they'll probably encounter. Yeah. Uh, I think that that has always been sort of the consensus after the interviews have done is that most of these photographers have really appreciated the conversation because it allowed them to talk about themselves and the work in a way that they just didn't have to regurgitate their old their usual canned 
um, responses. Yeah, this is really interesting because one of the most common, well, you know, if you think of all of the responses that you get from these um, photographers that you're, uh, that you're interviewing, one of the most common responses is like, wow, that's a really great question. Uh, let me think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really... And I really like that to to hear that with with uh, with interviews in this way. Yeah, because I, I kind of learned that you know a long time ago, and it, it said I'm paraphrasing it, but it says if you want to have a great conversation, learn how to listen. Yes, you know, and that's really at the heart of what I what I try to do. I try to you know uh, shut up, listen, and then if I do have something to ask, to have it rooted in what what what's I've been hearing during the course of the conversation. Yeah, it's strange you should actually say this because you were just mentioning before about using the, the names of some photo- uh, uh, great photographers to then get interviews with other photographers. There's this um, podcast, I'm not going to mention what it is, but it's, a, it's about writing and science fiction. Um, and they managed to get like an interview with you know, some great science fiction writer, you know, uh, like Joe Haldeman or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. And then, then using that name, they obviously got another interview. But that first interview wasn't wasn't very good and then the next interview wasn't very good and it was really annoying because i was like you're getting access to all of these really great science fiction authors that don't do interviews very often but they're only agreeing to it because you've interviewed these other things and the interview is just really bad because he's just got this list of questions and it's like exactly the opposite that you're saying it's like he just goes okay here's this question ah and now here's the next question on my list oh and here's the next question on my list and it's this it's almost the same list for every author as well oh, which, is, uh, which is too terrible. bad yeah i mean i've done you know as a juggler and people say hey can i have an interview can i interview for you know this video or for a magazine or something like that and it's really difficult to ever do an interview when the questions are written in advance and so it's like a questionnaire rather than a qu- than a than an interview if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, one of my heroes is Studs Terkel. Last name is T U R K E L. Yeah, he written he written some classic books. Uh, one was called Race, another one was called Working, and um, he just went around and he interviewed everyday people using you know this recorder, and he would basically he would have conversations, and and he was a master at making people very comfortable. To the point they were willing to relieve, you know, reveal some of the most intimate parts of their of their lives to him, a complete stranger. Yeah. And um, if you haven't read his books, I, I recommend that you do. Anybody out there listening, uh, but if you ever have an opportunity to hear interviews with him um, or, or, or anything on him, you should. Particularly if you're interested in interviewing people, because I think he's probably one of the best examples about how to do it well. Yeah. How to do it well. And uh, he only passed away about, I think, two, three, maybe four years ago. And, um, you know, and, and I often cite him as, as an example of what I try to achieve because I think so many people out there, whether they're writers or even if they're making livings as reporters, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to interview well because I think that um, – if you're if you're the subject of interviews for any any amount of time, you'll you'll quickly realize that most people out there don't really feel comfortable, um, not just being interviewed, but interviewing someone. Yeah, and asking so questions, finding stuff out about someone is actually it's quite personal, you know. Yeah, in a way. and you can't be sitting there asking a question, not listening, and thinking about what's my next question going to be. Yeah. You, you, you got to give that person your full attention and otherwise they, they won't reveal stuff that they – I'm always hoping that I'll get something out of my subject that they don't 
they themselves don't anticipate that they're going to talk about or reveal. Or and even that they don't know. Right. Yeah. And I think, and that's only going to happen as a result of me listening to what they're saying because oftentimes in my conversations, I'll hear something, I'll go, oh, that's something interesting. Let me, let me follow that up with another question or let me have them expand on that a little bit um, to go a little, a little deeper because any question that I sit down to write ahead of time is, is just going to end up serving as a launching pad. If I'm depending on those questions for my interview, I know yeah. I'm in trouble. It's really strange, actually, because we're talking about interviews here. Whereas this podcast for me is uh, th- this one that we're recording now, and this series that I'm doing is is in a way I didn't want it to just be uh, an interview because uh, I want it to be more of a discussion because I want it to be a personal uh, journey for me that I actually find out stuff that I think through this as well. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, and that's. Yeah. And and so, like, in the first one that I did, I was talking about someone, in, you know, in the same way that I said, look, if you want to ask me any questions about anything, um, and I think I've already, you know, you've already asked me some questions, we've already discussed things, which I've now sort of noticed about my photography, which I didn't, or, you know, other things as well. And the first interview that I did, which wasn't an interview, it was a discussion, I mentioned this thing, it was just off the top of my head, and he went, wait a second, what did, what did you just say? And then we sort of repeated it, and we're like, ah, oh, yeah, and this, we were talking about, you know, theatre, and we are talking about juggling we're all like oh that's really good you know and I had said it not because you know because it it wasn't an interview like I say it was a it was a discussion and it was you know and that's what I'm I'm trying to get out of this this project is to to discover my own views on these topics my own views on creativity and on photography and on juggling and theater and writing and all these things as well yeah like you said like your own your own juggling is a is a reflection of your own personality yeah that's that's what's happening with the podcast that's yeah. exactly the same thing that's happening there. My, my my conversations, my interviews are a direct reflection of me, what I'm interested in, you know, what I want to hear because I feel like I, I'm trying to nurture myself as a mm. result of all these conversations. I'm yeah, trying so are, you trying to, are you trying to like actively learn? Are you ever going to like ask a question because you know that this photographer does this kind of thing and you want to sort of find out a bit more about that? I mean, are you... Uh, I don't want to say selfishly interviewing these people. I mean, because that's that's what I'm doing with this project, uh, <laughs> to be honest. But is is that sort of part of what you're doing? You're like, ah, oh, I think I can learn something from them. You know, I, I'm I, I'm completely selfish in terms of the show. I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't hide that. I mean, that's the that's the only reason I can keep doing it for four years. I mean, I'm surely not I'm surely not doing it for any money because I don't make any money from it. Yeah, you know, it takes a good amount of work to put it to, together every every couple of weeks. Um, so I'm being completely selfish and it's not so much that I'm looking to learn as I'm looking to gain some insight into, into my own work. Not so much how do I achieve it because I think I I have a good enough sense of how I can achieve much of anything in my life. I mean, I just got to sit down there and just, just do the work, Mm. but it's, it's often kind of interesting to see how different photographers, um, deal with different struggles, different challenges, moments of self-doubt, anxiety, fear, challenge. And the, the conversations help me to get glimpses of that. Um, the, the conversations are oftentimes 45 minutes, but often the, the, most, the most telling things probably happen within, you know, a 60 seconds. You know, and maybe one thing they said here at minute two and another thing they said at minute 15. And it's those little gems that I end up 
you know, taking away the most from the conversations. And I think as people listen to the show, they're finding similar similar things in those conversations. So what re- resonated for me uh, in one interview may have been completely different for someone else. But just the fact that I create a, a very dynamic conversation between me and the person I'm interviewing, it allows that anybody who listens to it can take away something that resonates with them at that particular time in their creative life. Because if you listen, if I listen to a show that I interviewed that I did three years ago, I know I'm not going to respond to it the same way as when I listen to it today because I'm a different person because I've made different changes and progressed in a different way. And I think, and that's the way I, I, I think that the show um, does well with so many people from all over the world, from different experience levels. Um, that's why it works because it's not a, a cut and paste um, sort of thing. No, I understand that. Because you were saying, oh, my podcast is an extension of me. But I'm like, no, it isn't. It's an extension of me. And it's an extension of all these other listeners. Like, exactly like you say, we, we all find it there. Because you, like, you sort of sit back so much that even though your personality is there and obviously your views are there and your character does come through, it's, it almost creates a blank canvas for these other photographers to then sort of paint on like blank film for them to you know and then any like you say any of those listeners can actually get so much out of it but different things out of it which yeah. i think is which is a real uh something really interesting there as a as an interviewer yeah and i think you'll and, and i'm sure when i get a chance to listen to your shows all your interviews i, I probably will be experiencing that very same thing the fact that you're interviewing people who are not just jugglers and are not just photographers they're not just yeah. writers that you know what holds all these people together is one a desire to be creative in one form or another yeah. but two is a desire to want to express their own uniqueness what they find exciting and special and share it with someone which i think is at the heart of what most people want to be able to do with their lives most most people live lives you know yearning to do stuff that allows them to be able to express themselves and to gauge and to get people's reactions to it. But most of them end up not not doing that. So, you know, conversations like we're having and, and the podcast that we're both creating really allow people to to get a glimpse of what life can be like when you make such a choice and why it's such a worthwhile choice to make. You mentioned before about like the the different photographers um being interviewed many times before and then suddenly they have new questions now the strange thing about interviewing jugglers as i did for the juggling podcast and me and my ex-girlfriend did for the juggling podcast uh we we would interview people and they'd never been interviewed before because jugglers don't really have anything to sell <laughs> if you understand what i mean yeah. i mean they're, they're very popular some of them you know they're performing all over the world you know earning loads of money but they sell their show and that's what they're judged on you know it's not like and uh, you know to bring it back to these author interviews before who they want to sell the books they get a new book out and then they get lined up and this radio station interviews them and this magazine interviews them and this tv show and they and they know how to be interviewed because they've actually got something to sell Jugglers jugglers they're, they're live performers you know nobody actually mm-hmm. has anything to sell maybe like one guy that i talked to had a book but then he wasn't even interested in selling that he just wanted to chat to me about juggling and things like that um but it, do you ha- do you f- sometimes feel the same thing about um photographers i mean you can get people on some of them have books out some of them have got projects that they want to or you know that they're passionate about and they, they want to you know show like have people go to the website or anything like that but do you ever find that someone just hasn't been interviewed before or doesn't you know 
Yeah. Do you understand what I'm trying to say there? It's sort of like you're you're trying to find questions that haven't been asked before, but some some people haven't been asked anything, and they're and they're finding their way because they don't know, you know, they don't even know how to respond to an interview or questions. Like well, that. yeah, I think, and that's what the show has 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 tried to be. I mean, I've tried, I've interviewed some big names, but I've also interviewed photographers that um, people have never even heard of. Um, mm photographers that really don't have a huge following but whose work I, I, I found interesting enough that I wanted to talk to them about it. So I have gone from, from, you know, from both uh, extremes, from someone who's really never been interviewed at all about their work before uh, to someone who's been interviewed countless number of times. Um, each of them provides their, their, their set of challenges. I think that the person who's been interviewed a lot is probably the more difficult person to, to interview because they, they've been asked so many similar questions that they have sort of their pat answers or they may have their own agenda in terms of what they want to get across uh, yeah. in, in the conversations. And for those, it's, it's, hard, it's a little harder to sort of allow them you know, the luxury of being able to get out whatever sort of you – know, message they want to get out but getting to go beyond that you know mm-hmm. and making the conversation more substantial and, and and deeper and i think for the most part i'm pretty successful with that um with the people who haven't been interviewed before um they're oftentimes a lot more easier to interview because as, as soon as i get into it and make it a conversation um they get more relaxed and it's a lot more comfortable with them because they're not feeling like it's a sort of question and answer where they have to say the right thing which I think is always a concern when you're first being interviewed. Yeah, you want to you want to you want to sound smart. You don't want to sound stupid. You want to feel like you're giving the person, you know, what they're hoping and they're going for. But I make it I make it less uh, less pressure on them to do that. And it's just like, hey, I'm just fascinated about what you were doing here. Why'd you do this? And people are talking about something they're already passionate and in love with already. And they're often eager to want to talk about that. So even if a person hasn't been interviewed very much or if at all, once I steer the conversation to that familiar and comfortable territory, um, the conversations just come out very, very naturally. It's only when I'm dealing with someone who goes, this is my spiel, this is what I want to put out, and I don't want to do more than that. That's when you know, it, it gets to be a real bear. And I've only had a you know, one or two interviews where I really had a bear of a time sort of shaking them out of that. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that is a great approach because, like, there's so many. I mean, I used to listen to, like you say, because I'm into writing and I'd listen to interviews with different authors that I liked. And I just don't, I can't listen to any of them anymore because it's, like you say, it's just the same spiel over again. And even if it's another author, you know, if it's an author, I've never heard an interview with them. If I know their work, I kind of know what they're going to say. And then at the end of the interview, I'm just like, Yep, that was uh, <laughs> that was pretty much what I expected, and it's very disappointing. You know, I'd rather have you know more conversations. And that's there's a, a, a podcast that I listen to and actually take part in quite often called the Science Fiction Fantasy SFF Audio uh, Podcast, and that's they're like the only guys who ever get someone on and actually have a proper conversation or a discussion. And they are a little bit confrontational sometimes. They're like, "Oh, what do mm-hmm. you mean by that?" You know, and and I just don't find very much value in most interviews that I hear really um, which is a, which is a real pity yeah there was there used to be a show that used to be aired um, in uh, in um, called the hour 25 um, if some of the episodes may be available online I'm not sure I haven't looked on uh, but um, 
there was a guy named, I think, Michael Dell that started the program. And then when he passed away, Harlan Ellison uh, hosted the show for a bit. And, and yeah. uh, Steve Barnes uh, as well. And that was great conversations with writers about what they do. And uh, it, was, it was just a fan- fantastic show. But, you know, some of the shows that I listen to now, like Elvis Mitchell's The Treatment, I think he's probably one of the best uh, interviews. Uh, Terry Gross um, is, is also wonderful. But you get to find examples of people out there who really know how to do it well. And they have these wonderful conversations. And they're so enthusiastic about the people that they're talking they're talking with they you can tell that they're really interested in finding out finding Mm. out more rather than just throwing a bunch of questions and getting answers thrown back i mean i've seen some terrible interviews happen and i just sort of cringe oh yeah you know and i just go oh god you know this is so bad and i feel so badly for the person who's having to answer the answer the questions and I just strive not to to do that to anyone. <laughs> yeah, there's actually this actually the same uh, from this SFF audio. Jesse is one of the main hosts. There's Scott and Jesse. Jesse said, "Hey, check it out! It's a new podcast, a new a new you know some science fiction or fantasy authors getting interviewed." But it was from I think Orbit Books, and so it was an in-house production, like an in-house author interview show. And I said, "Look, I'm." probably not going to listen to this. I'll check it out but I'm not going to listen to it because it's going to be like because it's in-house, it's going to be all like softball questions and things like that or sycophantic interviews. Um, and I started listening to it and I got I, I managed to listen to the first like minute and 15 seconds and had to switch it off. And it was because it was just it was just the, one of the worst things I ever talked about it. The guy interviewing, you know, the the, the host was sort of like, "Hey, my name is uh, what's his name, Womack, and today yeah. we've got on this author. Now, this is what people are saying about this. Blah blah blah. Now, um, Joe Abercrombie, what do you think when people describe your work as so awesome? You know, and I'm just and you could just hear like the the author that was interviewing uh. going. It was just like, uh, yeah, well, hi, um, it. And it was just, like I said, I just switched off. There was no way that I could, that, that I can, I can, there's nothing there for me, if you understand. Yeah. There's no humanity there. I want people to pass, like, this humanity test, you know, before they actually, before I start listening to a conversation with them. And I guess all of the my favorite interviews, not even interviews, all my favorite podcasts that I listen to, you'll listen to it but for the chemistry between the, uh, between the, the, the personalities involved. And there has to be personality there, and there has to be that level of, genuine humanity um otherwise it's you know you're just it's like listening to robots talk. it's like listening to press release you know yeah and and, th- and i think that's people are really hungry for something that touches their humanity i think that's why you know certain certain programming uh, on radio uh, on podcasts why some programs resonate more more with others i mean there's always going to be a market for the stuff that's very heavily packaged and and sort of produced and you know and, oh, if I, that's done yeah. well, I can enjoy it. I have no problem with that kind of stuff if it's you know if it's good quality and uh, and it's actually something I'm interested in. I guess. Yeah, but I think at, at the heart, people are wanting something that sort of resonates with them, mm. something that makes them feel like this matters or that part of my own life matters in some way. I mean, people are, you know, anything people listen to or read is 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 somehow a reflection of them, or either the way they see themselves or how they would like to see themselves. And I think the more sincere and honest that you are, that you'll you'll find an audience for it. And I think that that happens whether you're 
a podcaster or, or, or a musician, a painter, or a juggler, or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, the more you're in touch with your own humanity, your own desires, and you put it out there, you'll find an audience for it, and, and it will resonate. My show is not for everybody. I know that. I, my numbers are not like, you know, Scott Kelby's Photoshop user TV program, which probably has tens of tens of thousands of people who listen to the show. I may yeah. only have a fraction of that, but I know that the people who listen to my show and who follow me, um, they're passionate about photography in the very same way that I am. Yeah, it's the same. It's same with my podcast as well, my science fiction book review podcast. It's it's strange that as I've become more personal with people and started talking like letting the books that I'm reading when I talk about like thematically or how what it means to me and things like that when I bring in my more of my own personality and my own life and my own stories that I'm doing I get emails all the time saying oh this is really great and you know my the listening numbers are going up um as I'm becoming more personal and that's just something that I've uh, that I've noticed over the past six months or so that I've been doing. Yeah, because as people learn more about you, not just what you think about the book, but they learn more about you, they begin to trust you and your opinions more about the book because mm. they feel like they have a relationship with you because, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, I've li- listened to your, to your reviews, I've read the books, I saw what you were talking about, I may have agreed or disagreed on some points, but I feel like I can trust your opinion about it. Yeah. You know, because I understand you a little more and as a result, you know, they start listening to to uh, to the shows a little more. I actually heard your show a, a couple of times last year, even before you you interviewed me, because I have an interest in science fiction. But I stopped listening to a bunch of book review shows just because, not because I didn't like the content, but I was getting frustrated that I wasn't making the time to read all those books. Oh right, I and, I, and I felt like I was just punishing myself by hearing all these interesting books that I was not getting a chance. You're to never going to get to, yeah. And I was yeah. like, I'm just, I'm just. Being a, 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 a masochist doing that to myself, but yeah, yeah, it's like listening. It'd be like listening to all these like tech shows and gadget shows about phones that you're never going to use, right. or something like that. <laughs> anyway, you know, it's 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 straight. It's actually great that we've we've finished on this on this topic. You know, just randomly as we've been talking, finishing on this topic of like this personal connection because. Um, the first time I ever emailed you was when you actually said, hey, um, have, uh, you know, I think we're talking about people listening around the world and you said there's nobody in listening to me in Antarctica. And I was like, well, the last time I listened That's to this, right. I was in I was in Antarctica and I'd actually, I don't normally would put this on, but I actually put a, a post on Twitter or Facebook saying listening to this episode of um, The Candid Frame and... Uh, it's moved me to tears because literally I was sitting there and uh, I think I was just walking around the deck and I'm looking at like icebergs floating by and penguins mm-hmm. jumping off of them and stuff like that. So already I'm in sort of this, this you know, place, uh, <laughs> um, like personally and emotionally and stuff like that too. Um, but then it was you and your friend, I, I think we mentioned this just before we started recording or maybe mm-hmm. it was after we started recording, um, and you were talking to a, a jazz musician. What's his name? Stefan. And so you were talking to him and it was, for me, the most personal, one of the most personal shows that you'd done because it wasn't just an interview. It was a conversation with a non-photographer and you guys were just talking and finding things in common. But me as a musician and a photographer, it was like I was getting hit on both sides of the head all the time. And, you know, and Stefan was saying something and then you would say something back. And it was, yeah, it was like this, for me, it was it was a big inspiration. And that's one of the main inspirations for this podcast that I'm doing now where it's just like oh wait a second you've got someone who probably doesn't know much so much about photography and someone who maybe doesn't know so much about 
music. I mean, I don't know if you're that musical or not, but uh, it was it was amazing to see sort of like this obviously you know virtuoso jazz musician talking to you know professional photographer and bringing out different aspects, and that so, that hit me uh, so much that I mean I would never normally post something like that on Twitter, but then I did it. You know, uh, oh, I appreciate as, it. Thank as, you as, as, as a recommendation for the people to check it out because you know I've listened you know I've probably listened to that episode three times now in the past year because it was about this time last year wasn't it uh, yeah, yeah yeah so so there you go i mean that's it, it your podcast has sort of like directly influenced me um to be more personal in uh in my interactions with audience and just other people really yeah that's that's awesome and it's it's really and it really speaks to the sort of the nature of of any art or anything that you put out there is that you never know how it's going to end up being used or how people are going to respond to it. I mean, I get emails from people from all over the world, and it's sort of surreal to think that someone could be, you know, walking down the streets of Budapest listening to my voice, you know? I mean, it's always kind of, kind of strange, but I hear, I hear messages back from people who listen to the show, and they derive so much inspiration and encouragement from it. Which yeah. is which I don't know if I was really thinking about that when I first started the program, but but from the very me- so many messages that I get, I know that the show is doing that for 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 a lot of people, and you know that keeps me keeps me encouraged about doing it. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't want to sit down in front of the computer and edit it. I actually have to edit uh, edit a new episode uh, this morning after I'm done here. Yeah. But you know, I, I realize that I'm providing a service to a lot of people. Uh, and that keeps me and that keeps me going because I don't I don't see myself slowing down uh, anytime soon because I know a lot of podcasts don't last as long as I've I've been doing this one this is it was no, four years last month and yeah I could see myself doing this for a long time to come and uh, it's 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 gratifying work to do I mean if I have any legacy in 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 in, in this photo world at all uh, I know that this show is going to be a big 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 part of it so that that keeps me going. From personal experience, I know that even if you do stop, you'll still be getting messages from people in 10 years' time. Because back in the day, I was very, I had a very popular website online back at like 10 years ago. This is like before, you know, and I had lots of videos online, you know, before YouTube and all this kind of stuff. And even now, I meet up with people and just randomly meet people, like not just, not online even, just, you know, festivals and juggling festivals. And then I randomly met someone in, in uh, New York who was just going, oh yeah, when I started juggling, yours was the website that was a big inspiration for me. And you're the reason why I got into juggling or your, you know, your website was the, that's why I got enthusiastic about juggling when I first started it. And it was one of the first things that I saw online. And I bet you anything, this is going to be the same kind of thing for your, for your podcast. People are going to forget like the technical podcasts because you know there'll be a new version of photoshop out and they'll forget the the you know what camera their first camera they they use but they will remember your podcast because it would have touched them in this in this inspirational way or in this uh, uh, emotional way and personal way and that's what'll stick with them uh, well, yeah thank you for that i hadn't i hadn't really thought about it but that's very yeah. true thank you anyway i think that's a good place to finish up here well, thank you. I was wanting this to last maybe 45, 50 minutes, and we've gone over an hour here. So. Really? Well, it was fun. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. <laughs>